Welcome to the Connected Insurance Podcast, presented by Agency Revolution. Listen to interviews with the most influential people in the insurance industry. Learn the most important strategies, tactics, trends, and challenges facing today's independent insurance agents and brokers. Subscribe today and get updates delivered right to your inbox. And now, without further delay, the Connected Insurance Podcast. Hello, everybody. Michael Jans, co-founder of Agency Revolution, and today, delighted to simply be your podcast host for the Connected Insurance Podcast, presented by Agency Revolution, creators of Attract. Attract is a powerful marketing suite that allows you to spend uh, less time on the drudgery of marketing, more time growing your business. Attract gives you the technology and the content. You need to find your ideal prospect and turn them into your best customer. If you haven't done it lately, do yourself a big favor. Visit agencyrevolution.com. Get yourself a free demo and find out why this is award-winning software. So today, uh, I'm delighted to, again, uh, invite you to this conversation. I consider this conversation to be, uh, I hope, the most important conversation that you have this week. In fact, that is largely my goal, is to make um, when we spend a short hour together, and they're usually less than an hour, that it's the most important conversation that you'll have for your business. Uh, as, uh, as you're aware, I'm, um, I'm an advocate for the independent agency channel, but I'm not an apologist for the independent agency channel. I don't pretend that everything is always smooth sailing and that we are the absolutely the best at doing what we're doing. No, in fact, I think, well, I'm, I'm quite open that there are changes that are shaping and reshaping the industry. There are trends and forces that are shaping and reshaping the industry and that the wise entrepreneur um, looks out the window and sees what that future might look like and what those trends and forces are so they can and you can navigate successfully and navigate with your eyes wide open. So this podcast is built upon my premise that that the agency channel must pay attention to strategy, not just chase every shiny new thing, must pay attention to the trends and forces, which are sometimes hard to see when you've got your head down and you're running a, a business all day long, must pay attention then to the tactical execution of strategy based on those trends and forces. So to make that easier for you and uh, hopefully to, well, just uh, give you the tools. I turned to London today to my friend, Suzanne Tisti, who uh, was the editor of the InsurTech book of which I am a co-author. Uh, who is Suzanne Tisti? Um a name you may not be familiar with, but a lot of the uh, of the insurtech world is. So let me I'm going to read a little bit about her because I think her resume uh, deserves that kind of attention. Suzanne is the CEO of the FinTech Circle, which is Europe's first investor network focused on FinTech investments. She's the founder of the FinTech Circle Institute, a leading FinTech learning platform that offers um, innovation workshops to C-level executives. She's the co-author of the bestseller in the FinTech book, but also uh, the WealthTech book, the InsureTech book, the PayTech book, the AI book, the legal book, and she's been published in 10 languages and sold across 107 countries. Suzanne has been recognized as one of the top 32 FinTech leaders in the UK, uh, the top 24th fintech influencer in the world, the winner of the fintech champion of the year award, uh, the social media influencer of the year um, by Investment Week, one of the top seven crypto experts globally. Um, well, I could just go on and on. This is a person who understands, um, yes, fintech, but also the subset that we watch so carefully. InsureTech. And in this conversation, uh, we talk about things that you should care about, um, what insurance may look like in the very near and midterm future based on some really interesting trends, investments in InsureTech, um, and 
how global trends in Asia and Europe um, may foretell change in the in the U.S. and Canadian market. Um, that's an important conversation. There are, um, <coughs> as this world becomes more and more connected, uh, first of all, there are insure techs that are now uh, that are in Europe that are looking to come here. Uh, there are innovations that happen. Uh, in the European market and in the Asian market that simply take longer here. And we talk a little bit about why that is. Uh, she um, provides some crystal ball predictions um, on possible changes in the personal lines and small commercial lines market. Um, and, and and I do want you to listen to this at the, oh, sort of towards the end of the conversation. I Basically, I ask her, um, you know, what, what's the most important thing you need agents need to hear? She shares three things that you need to do uh, to be successful in um, this changing insurance world. And that's really very important. One of them um, I thought was incredibly astute. <laughs> the third one, and I'll save the other ones for the conversation itself. The third one um, is that uh, in order to thrive, in this very noisy, clamorous uh, marketplace with the internet, um, everybody being a publisher, is for today's agent, today's broker, to be a thought leader, uh, to rise above the noise, <coughs> excuse me, and um, to deliver a, a clear signal, um, and uh, to do that so that uh, the market can meet you with, um, with immediate respect and that you can guide them with authority and earn loyalty. Um, this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. If you're curious about what, uh, how, um, what uh, my, some of my insights are on how the agency channel uh, can deliver a, uh, that clarity of message and to be that signal visit, making a mental note of this, unless you're not driving, make a physical note of it. Uh, www.thoughtleadershipsecrets.com. Visit www.thoughtleadershipsecrets.com. Um, and again, before uh, we go, if we're not connected on LinkedIn, um, let's do that. Mm, so as soon as you send me a connection, boom, I'll, I'll be your pal. And again, if uh, this would mean a lot to me, if, uh, if this podcast is of value to you, and I certainly hope that it is, I'd be so grateful for your five-star review on the platform of your choice. And so now without further ado, it's my uh, great privilege to introduce you to this conversation with um, one of the planet's top global leaders in InsureTech, Suzanne Chisti. Uh, and I will encourage you, uh, listen carefully. Uh, she is from Austria. And so um, you'll just you'll want to listen carefully. Um, I'm not interviewing somebody from New Jersey. You'll know that immediately. So now without further ado, it is um, a great privilege to introduce you to Suzanne Chisti. Suzanne Chisti, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm very well, Mike. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, well, it's my privilege and um, I will uh, inform the audience that um, um, uh, I'm, I'm introducing them to my editor, the editor of the InsureTech book, of which I was a co-author. And um, this is, uh, well, I'll, I'll let her establish her own credibility, but um, she's uh, been in a position where she has had um, oh, uh, a, a seat to really look at what's happening in InsureTech for many years now. Uh, with a sort of a, a global perspective. So I'm really excited about this conversation because it's such a powerful, transformative force in the industry right now. So, um, Suzanne, how are you? And if you would, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, I'm very well. I'm calling in from London. Uh, originally, I'm from Vienna, from Austria. Uh, you know, moved to London more than 25 years ago. And I'm, uh, as you said, the co-editor of the InsureTech book, which was published by Wiley three years ago, and which talks about new technologies, new business models in the insurance space, you know, both personal insurance, business insurance. Uh, and, and we try to understand and try to document and share 
you know, what happens globally, what are the new developments which we see. And all this is part of FinTech Circle's educational range. Uh, and I'm the CEO of FinTech Circle, and it's one of our seven books by now. So we also have a book on FinTech, a book on artificial intelligence, for example, Uh, one book is called Fintech for Dummies, you know, which is out of the Dummy series. So our goal very much is about education, uh, bringing education, bring, bringing new inspiration to people who work in the industry and who need uh, summarized know-how, knowledge, how to future-proof their careers, you know, how to be aware of what goes on in the insurance sector in order to know what to do next, you know, in order to know what to focus on, what to learn more about. And, uh, and so it's a, it's a pleasure to be here, Michael. And uh, thank you again for writing such a great chapter. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, well, it was a pleasure to write it. Um, and I'm not sure I was the only, but I think I may have been the only, oh, sort of pure broker agent advocate that was published in that book. And I'll still stand strongly behind the message that I delivered back then about the importance and value of the relationship and how technology can help strengthen and amplify and deepen relationships. So enough about my chapter. Um, it's, uh, I see that uh, behind you, you've got a banner for FinTech. And as I recall, the, in, the FinTech book got published before the InsureTech book. And I think to some extent, people would say that um, uh, FinTech has been sort of a pioneer and InsureTech has followed behind that. But now InsureTech really has become a formidable force of its own. Exactly. I think that's uh, the way I see it too, Michael. So when we think back, you know, five years ago, we could see that, um, that individuals, you know, became much more... Um, interested in using technology, you know, using your mobile phone to do your banking, for example, or to uh, save, to invest, you know, much more mobile phone, mobile first based solutions. And so we saw large banks uh, becoming more interested to invest in their innovation capabilities after the financial crisis, you know, more than 10 years ago, it was after the global financial crisis in 2007, uh, most uh, financial services companies had to focus on compliance, you know, because they were not compliant. Many had to pay huge fees. And all of a sudden, you had no budget and no headspace to innovate anymore. And so what happened then was that uh, the new incomers, you know, the newcomers, startups joined the sector who wanted to disrupt the sector, you know, said, okay, we can do banking better, we can do insurance better. And, uh, and what we have seen, you know, as you said correctly, that the fintech change happened first, you know, banks responded uh, and insurance came second. So it often in, in the insurance sector was slower moving uh, initially, but by now we also see that most large insurance companies You know, they have embraced InsureTech and they realize that the InsureTech sector is actually not competing with the established insurance companies, but often it's about partnerships and about collaboration to bring better products and services to the customers. Uh, and the way this is being done is that as an insurance company, you don't need to, anymore to produce everything in-house and to develop everything in-house, but you can outsource it, you know, to insure tech companies. And then after these products are tested and working, then you work together and you license their technologies or you use the technologies to cut costs, you know, operationally or to improve your customer engagement, you know, your customer service, you offer chatbots for your clients. So there are lots of ways to use insure tech uh, companies for established insurance companies, which make perfect sense. So that's uh, definitely something which we have seen happening more and more over the last few years. And we also saw insurance companies investing in insurtech startups more, you know, so that's also an interesting trend is about investing. And we at FinTech Circle, we invest ourselves as well. So we're an investor network, uh, but we, of course, we are a private angel network. So we invest small amounts, 
but large insurance companies, I mean, they have often large funds, you know, 100 million plus, which they want to deploy over many years to improve their technology stacks. You know, so it's okay. very exciting. So you, you said something that I think is particularly um, oh, uh, interesting about the fintech world. And, and the reason I want to pursue this is I'm curious how this may affect the insurance world. You, you had mentioned that in, oh, you know, the uh, um, early days, the pioneer days of fintech, uh, the large uh, banking companies were in a position to invest fairly heavily into uh, fintech. And I suspect that the smaller banks and the smaller finance uh, companies were really not in a position to do that. So uh, I if we look at the insurance industry, we're very likely to see the same kind of trend or pattern where the large companies are investing in new technologies, uh, investing in insure techs, partnering with insure techs, and the smaller, the regionals or the MGAs, the niche players um, may not have the capacity to make those investments. So here's my question. Um, what impact did that have on the finance world uh, where the large companies had a, a financial advantage over the small ones? And what do you think the, the uh, that sort of similar pattern, what impact might that have on the insurance world? So let's take it one at a time. Did the, did the large, did the larger banks have an advantage and has that had an impact on smaller uh, uh, financial companies and did it force more consolidation? That's my first question. Yes, I yes. would say yes. You know, yes, initially, definitely because the larger players had more budgets available. And so what they did is they, uh, they developed their own internal innovation teams, their own internal often fintech teams. And these teams were focused on scouting for fintech companies, for example, looking, you know, for the best fintech companies to work for this institution. Uh, they were also looking at innovation management, you know, how to become more agile, uh, how to improve internal procedures. So much more, they had the budgets to hire their own internal innovation teams. Uh, maybe some of them uh, set up an accelerator, you know, accelerator uh, programs. Yes. Sponsored. Um we also know of, of companies who set up so-called entrepreneurship programs, you know, where they helped internal employees to become startup founders. So entrepreneurs, intrapreneurs. So those things were, were possible, you know, for larger institutions with more budgets. The smaller institutions, they normally did not have sufficient budget to set up their own internal teams, but they outsourced it. You know, they outsourced it to outside providers, uh, to innovation consultancies, to um, consulting companies who helped them scout, you know, for potential partners, but where they just paid as a service, like a service fee, you know, which was cheaper than having in-house right. full-time right. resources. So, 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 did, so did that cause further consolidation in uh, the finance industry? Uh, I would say, uh, no, I mean, so far, so far, um, not yet totally, you okay. know, but I think we will see definitely more consolidation coming uh, because we see also in the, in the fintech sector, we see lots of competition, you know, lots of fintech companies uh, offer the same things, you know, lots of neobanks, challenger banks, for example, here in the UK, right. and the, the market is quite saturated. You know, normally people have got one or maximum two bank accounts. And so when there are so many new banks, uh, you know, the question will be, how will they ever get enough customers, you know, millions of customers to ah, justify? Okay, so that, that was an innovation. That wasn't um, large banks investing in, in insure tech. <laughs> Those were brand new um, uh, entities yes. um, that were really attempting to disrupt as opposed to transform the existing industry. Exactly. And yes, only so much room up there. So yes. when we when we look at the insurance industry, uh, consolidation is an issue at two levels. Uh, at, so for example, um, had a conversation with J.D. Power a couple of weeks ago and they informed me that um, in personal auto, for example, the, the top five uh, personal auto carriers own 60% of market share. 
Whereas, you know, a dial the calendar back 25 years ago is more like, as I recall, is about 42%. So it's a massive, steady march towards consolidation. Now, what we don't see, and, uh, you know, it maybe isn't reported so much, is the consolidation that's happening down at the bottom of the pyramid, where there are hundreds of insurance companies, many of whom just don't have the capacity to um, invest in the latest technology that gives the large companies perhaps some significant advantage. So I'm, I'm going to I'm going to throw that one at you. What what do you see as uh, it, um, the impact of insure tech on um, you know the possibilities of further consolidation in the industry? Yeah, I think there's a huge impact. You know because I think the then from an insurance company's point of view, working with an insure tech allows you to outsource the innovation expenses. You know, because you outsource the development, research and development to, to a third party and you just buy it in after it has been successful. So, you you know, all the unsuccessful attempts, you don't pay for that. But if you would do this all in-house, you know, you would have to pay for all those costs and these attempts and trials. So it makes perfect sense, you know, for an insurance company and a smaller one to work with an insure tech provider to buy in new solutions or new technologies. And, uh, and I think that the way this is, can help is multiple ways. One is to reduce your costs, you know, by lowering, uh, automating certain tasks within operations, customer service. The second one is by adding potentially data, you know, helping you with more data analytics, predictive analytics to understand your customers better, your clients better, you know, who is at risk of, of not renewing the policy, for example. You know, how can we prevent that from happening? So using data analytics to help you keep your customers and grow the business, you know, is a revenue generating activity. And then of course, the insure tech slash rec tech solutions, which are focused on compliance. Right. So how can insurance company be making sure that, you know, all the compliance checks are being done in an automated way in terms of client onboarding, for example, you know, a, a client servicing. So those are also, which is neither revenue generate, you know, it's cost cutting, but it's really being more compliant, potentially at lower costs, you know, because you automate these procedures. So it's, it's an exciting time for the insurance companies, but also for brokers as well. You know, I think it's, it's for both. There are new opportunities coming for both. Okay, so let's uh, switch our focus. So, uh, so I just kind of I want to wrap that part up. So it, it, does, it would seem logical that um, InsureTech investments and the advantages of InsureTech at the carrier level could lead to further consolidation because they have now some unfair advantage, as you said, with um, uh, cost reduction, compression of time, uh, adding uh, data capabilities, predictive analytics, um, um, uh, 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 regulation and compliance. So it would seem that that's a possibility we need to prepare for. Yes. Okay. Agreed. So let's, because uh, I, 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 I know that there's uh, also a great deal of interest in insure tech for um, uh, brokers and how it affects the broker channel. Um, and I suspect that that's more than it was when I was writing about it for this book for three, four years ago. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, I, I think we all know lots of fantastic insurance brokers, you know, and brokers, I think, are an awesome bunch of people having lots of expertise, lots of value-added services to the, uh, to the client base. And what, what we see is that, that the, the broker channel um, normally has got three areas, depending, you know, who are the clients of brokers. And in, in the UK, you know, we've got, when we think about the personal insurance products, um, and I maybe I talk about personal insurance first, and then about you know insurance for SMEs for businesses. On the personal insurance side, we see a trend toward DIY, you know, do-it-yourself uh, supermarkets where private insurance clients 
you know, they go online in London, we call, it's, it's a company called moneysupermarket.com, you know, and to this moneysupermarket.com, an example in the UK, you know, if you want to buy your car insurance, your pet insurance, your home insurance, or your health insurance, or life insurance, you go there, and you, you say who you are, how old you are, what your needs are, and then this website offers you options, you know, different quotes, different options. And so it's it's a self-service model uh, for customers who've got simple needs, you know. And, for uh, simple needs. Yes. Is it, right? Is that what for you simple, just said? Simple needs. Simple okay. needs, exactly. Um, so when you put simple all right. needs. So uh, am, am I right? Uh, in the UK, is that, are sites like that, uh, is that what they call aggregators? Yes, exactly. So they are okay. That's uh, how that term is used. Insurance aggregators, and they're used by by thirteen million people in the UK. So that it's quite quite substantiated already. But you're right; they're aggregating insurance policies and displaying them, you know, to the to the end client, and the client can can choose, you know, whom what to choose from. And so, you know, my thinking about. Uh, the, the, so the, the private side, the personal insurance, I think is highly commoditized, uh, a very highly competitive sector, you know, offered by these in, insurance supermarkets in the UK, at least. The business commercial side is offered is normally, I would say, up to five employees. You know, so if you've got a very small business, up to five employees, those are also catered for by these money supermarkets already so you can also buy your business insurance you know for simple needs in such a money supermarket but as soon as you enter get to more than five employees you know when you get a more complex business larger businesses you need you know you need a very good broker to help you choose and and i think where i see you know the huge opportunity for brokers is to really provide this risk management expertise to understand what's the risk for the client, you know, where, where can, what can go wrong and be a trusted advisor. And, and that's why I agree with your statement at the outset, Michael, where you said the relationships are key. You know, the relationships of brokers with their clients, this deep trust uh, that's so important because this can never be automated. You know, you can't automate a relationship. <laughs> you will always trust you know, a, 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 an advisor, you know, and a broker who has got this risk management expertise and assesses your risks, uh, you know, in a personal capacity because he knows your industry and because uh, he or she can help you to protect your business. You know, and that's where this value-added service comes in, which clients are willing to pay for, you know, in order to get the best, the best outcome, best advice. Okay, so uh, this is a fascinating uh, global perspective. <clears throat> and Suzanne, I've had uh, other guests on this show. Uh, typically, they're from London or from they're working in Germany and they've got a global perspective. And, um, oh, I would say uh, recognize, maybe bemoan the fact that in the United States, um, just simply because of... Um, Oh, I, I think it's uh, um, the, perhaps the fact that we're regulated in 50 different places at the same time. It's, it's, uh, it is difficult uh, to innovate rapidly, that uh, perhaps there's some protections for, uh, for changing too quickly, but it uh, doesn't mean that it's impossible to innovate. And so um, when, when I look at the, the UK model, uh, where you've got the moneysupermarket.com and, and, and you say 13 million people are jumping on that and buying um, their personalized insurance for their home, for their auto, their small business insurance, their life insurance or health insurance. That's a fairly active market. That's a very active marketplace. Now, is the, uh, is the broker mostly being left out of that process? Out of those aggregators, brokers are left out of the value chain. Yes, that's that's the the, the, <laughs> the idea. You know, of those aggregators is to go directly to the end customer, and to make it so easy and simple to choose that you do not need advice anymore 
from a broker, but those platforms do not give you advice. So they are very clear about that. They say, we give you options. Options, not advice. Not okay. advice. You know, that's a small right. print. So it's options, but not advice. So you don't get advice. So if you have got more complex needs, you know, you don't get that on a supermarket. Uh, but if you've got simple needs, and um, and that's that's I think that's where it comes. You know, it's, there was an interesting study, Michael, which said, how often do you talk to your insurance broker? And uh, in the, in London, in the UK, the result was more than fifty percent only speak to the broker once a year. Uh, okay. I understand that. This is uh, that that's something I've spoken to this industry a lot about here. Um, Okay, so quick question. Yes. Uh, uh, first question: um, the uh, uh, some of the carriers that deliver uh, and now dis, um, distribute insurance directly through the money supermarket sites um, are they traditionally also um, in the broker channel, and now they're also delivering it directly? It, it's okay. It's not yes. just the traditional directs; it's also the traditional. Uh, broker channel yes, carriers. Okay, and um, and uh, have uh, brokers? It would have they seen significant uh, or measurable loss of market share in the areas that you're talking about? Uh, I would say what what we see is that brokers now move upscale. You know, brokers move upscale, meaning trying to service more complicated needs. Uh, because they realize that the low and simple needs are being automated away, are being uh, cannibalized, you could say, you know, by these aggregators and yeah. by these competitive firms. And therefore, it would be very hard to keep enough uh, clients, you know, to make a, a good income. So what we see brokers move away to more exciting opportunities where they can add more value uh, to their clients. And there are insure tech solutions out there helping brokers to do that. You know, so before we talked about insure tech solutions for insurance companies, but there are also insure tech solutions for brokers, for the broker okay. community. But let's and, talk about that. Let's talk about what you're seeing. And of course, this is, uh, you know, my own background is uh, uh, operating an insure tech that was broker friendly. So yes. what, what uh, share with us. What, what are you seeing as the interesting innovations, the interesting investments um, that are being made that are broker-friendly, agent-friendly? Exactly. So I can give you one example of a, of a company in, in the UK called Concilio. Uh, and Concilio, it's a UK-based uh, brokerage insurtech platform. And what it allows independent brokers to do is to use their platform to list you know all the clients to have the clients on the platform so to have it easier to manage the client base to provide better risk analytics to give better advice you know to clients um, and allows them also to provide more services more products so it's almost like like making it making it uh valuable and worthwhile to have your own IT team, you know, which it normally, when you're a small brokerage company, it, it, you almost don't have enough money to invest in your own IT team. But right. this IT team has been built and is being shared among hundreds of brokers. So these are all independent brokers who basically outsource the whole IT strategy to Concilio. And Concilio finds both clients for them, but they also run the whole back office and the whole data analytics for them in order to help them gain more clients, not lose any clients, and basically allow them to focus what they enjoy doing, which is selling and speaking to customers, and all the data and, and IT work is being done for them. You know, So that's a, a full-service model for brokers. And it's it's and brokers like that a lot. You know, it's it's very popular, and uh, and a new a new trend which we are seeing. So I have to ask, since this is where most of my listeners are, is uh, is is that particular insure tech uh, expanding internationally? Uh, you know, I don't know. I could find out. I could definitely find out. I know that they have launched uh, in the UK about five years ago. So maybe they are now at the next step. You know, to to launch into the into the US market. 
And uh, because I'm sure that their, their service would be very helpful, I could imagine, you know, for the broker community in the US as well. And, uh, and, and their CEO is a very interesting, also outspoken, you know, visionary who loves brokers. You know, and he wants to help brokers to keep their competitive edge. You know, and it's unrealistic to expect from each broker to invest heavily into technology themselves because it's impossible to do that. But if a, if a third party does it on behalf of a broker community, it makes sense. You know, that's their business model. Got it. All right. Um, so, Suzanne, when you look at the uh, at the insurance world, particularly the agency or broker channel, and so let, let's um, uh, uh, turn the calendar forward two or three years, what do you see? And I know that this is a bit of an interesting question because it, it almost seems as if the UK and perhaps um, uh, other European countries, and in some Asia is a very uh, interesting situation too. Um, they, they, um, the innovation might be ahead of innovation in the United States by two or three years. It, 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 right? Um, some of the disruption is ahead, uh, yeah. but also it sounds like some of the transformative innovation is a little bit ahead. Uh, so however you want to answer this question, when you look at the kind of the near and midterm future, the insurance yeah. world is different. So my first question is, how, how do you see the world being different for the broker in the near to midterm future? I mean, when I look at China, you know, let's go towards Asia. Okay. And uh, yeah. when I look at China, you know, I've been in um, Hangzhou, which is a very large city close to Shanghai, uh, more than two <sighs> years ago, visiting a company which everybody knows, it's called Alibaba, you know, one of right. the biggest financial companies, and they've got their finance arm, it's Arndt Financial. And Arndt Financial is focused on payment technology. So they've got an app which is called Alipay. With Alipay, you know, 1 billion clients worldwide pay. And um, and they were initially just a payment provider, you know, allowing you to buy your tickets to the movies and buying food, you know, buying your trips. So everything was done on this app, you know, Alipay. But then All what right. they realized was that we can also add insurance to the payment platform they've built. So they then started to add micro insurance, they called it, you know, low cost, very standardized, very commoditized. And so by having this payment uh, solution, which was used by more than 1 billion people, you know, in, in China. <laughs> That's you know, a pretty good base to start from. Yeah. Incredible base to start from, you know. And so that's, I think, when we think about outside of the box and long term, you know, where, where are, where are, which global trends we see, it's, I'm sure it is large payment providers, payment solution providers. We can think about Apple, you know, Apple Pay. Um, right. Those companies can add insurance products to their offering. You know, and anybody who might have an Apple iPhone, you know, they could then insure their phone via the Apple insurance. You know, if Apple goes down this route, it would be very simple to do. And so I think we will see more tech companies and more payment companies moving into the insurance space as well. Uh-huh. Which and, is- uh, so uh, let, let me cl- uh, clarify something for my own understanding. Um, the insurance products that are offered through um, Alipay, um, are they um, micro products like insuring your phone or insuring uh, a, a, a product or are they more traditional forms of insurance like, you know, personal lines, your home, your auto, life insurance? Yes, they are, they are, they are both, you know, but both, both exactly. Uh, so, for example, they are, if you're a farmer, you know, if you're a farmer in, in China's uh, countryside and you want to insure uh, your, your, your house, or you want to insure your farm, you know, you can insure, you can use this micro insurance and these are small amounts, you know, you can, you can, but you can still do that. You won't have access to an insurance company there because you're so far out, but you can buy these micro insurance uh, policies. Uh, what we also see is specialized insurance for farmers using artificial intelligence and the internet of things. Uh, used, for example, to insure your your animals, you know. So that's what we've seen in Singapore. There is an insurance company where you can tag your livestock, you know, using sensors, uh-huh. 
Right. And these sensors then document the, the existence of your animals you know, on the farm. And you can ensure if, you, you know, if you're a small farmer and you've got just a, a half a dozen of cows or so, you know, you want to insure them. You can do that using these new insurance policies, which is just on, the, on your mobile phone directly from the farmer to the insurance company uh, helping. And it's, I think the, the theme here is financial inclusion. You know, that's a big theme, financial inclusion, because we've got 2 billion people globally who are excluded from the financial services market completely, often because they have no bank accounts. And so, you know, 2 billion people without bank accounts globally, if they want to buy an insurance policy, they normally can't do that because they have no bank account to pay for it. Uh, but that's why, you know, these payments apps allow them to to do that because they via the payment app you can pay for the microinsurance and or you can use your tokens you know in Africa uh -huh. to use payments right, right. so it's it's a different access point you know to your customers they, they, uh, in in Africa and probably Asia the mobile phone probably is the uh, most uh, prominent point of contact with the insurance industry now yes right? exactly okay. often your mobile phone is your bank account in Africa exactly Ah, okay. And I assume in the UK on those aggregator sites, there's probably as much access through the mobile phone as there is through a desktop. Yes. Okay. So let, let, let me, I, I want to go back to uh, the question I asked a moment ago. Um, what, do, what do you think that world looks like for the broker uh, in the future? Like how, how is the world different? And, and then the follow-up question is, what should agents and brokers, uh, th those who lead agencies, what should they be doing and thinking and what behaviors should they be adopting to succeed in what that new future might look like? Yeah, I would say brokers and agents, it's, it's a lifelong career. You know, and this lifelong career is focused on clients, clients and clients. So it, it's really the focus must be your customer base and the focus of a lifelong career includes three elements in my opinion. You know, one element is your technical knowledge to really understand, you know, how insurance products work, you know, why they work the way they do, the benefits to the customers so of the technical knowledge. Okay. The second, you know, component is your industry know-how because talking to customers, you know, business customers, they want to know that you understand their sector, you know, the industry they're ah, operating in. They're in their industry, right. It's okay. their industry that you can add value because you understand the risks they have in their industry. And I think the third component to be a lifelong successful broker is something which is new, which has never been requested before, but I think it is to become a thought leader. You know, to a, become, a thought leader. Yes, to become. <laughs> okay. Well, gee, I never would have thought you had said that. Yes. Uh, happens to feed into a course I'm launching very shortly called Thought Leadership Marketing. So. Fantastic. Exactly. That was a really good shill. Yes, <laughs> that's Michael. What, what you are, you know, you're an insurance, you are a thought leader, you know. Yeah. Good brokers, you know, they will become thought leaders using social media to share the expertise, to become trusted advisors, you know, using LinkedIn or using, you know, whatever elements and social platforms their clients use, you want to be present. You know, you want to be the person your clients call up when they need help. And so you have to be in front of the minds and you want to show that you are, have got this unique knowledge, this unique insights. So this thought leadership, I think, will set... Uh, the best ones apart from the average, you know, brokers who've got this uh, expertise and share their knowledge, you know, in public as well. So I'm going to draw an inference, Suzanne, from what you're saying. Um, and, and I'm thinking it's somewhere embedded within those three, but there's a, there's a strategic decision that I think you're implying, which you had mentioned earlier, which is that it's, um, uh, it's, probably savvy, um, it's probably prudent and probably wise to uh, certainly consider um, going up market. Yes. And, uh, and, and to recognize that the down market is the most vulnerable for uh, not just transformation, but really literally disruption that uh, uh, just like in the UK where I can't remember, don't recall what the population of, of of 
Great Britain is, but you've got 13 million people who are actively using aggregator websites. Um, that's that's an indication of what can happen, that the, the direction in which that trend could conceivably go. Yes. Okay. So so your three um, your th- three sort of uh, the legs of the stool f- uh, for you think for broker success are one technical knowledge, a really understanding of an insurance of insurance and understanding risk. Number two, industry know how. In other words, uh, being an expert in the c- customer. Yes. And the fact that you use the word industry kind of it, it seems that you're you would lean towards what we would call commercial lines insurance for the broker as being more of a safe harbor than personal lines. And I'll let people draw their own conclusion on that. Yes. Um, and then the number three is being a thought leader, which is, um, uh, I, I, I would say, uh, um, thought marketing as a thought leader to some extent, being present in the marketplace as a thought leader, demonstrating uh, expertise, demonstrating proprietary knowledge, um, and becoming, um, as you said, the the one they will call yes. when they have a problem, or the one they will call when they have a question. Yes. Okay. Well, exactly. very good. <laughs> Did we sum that up? Did I sum that up pretty well? Okay. Very good. Perfect summarize. That's right. And exactly because I think doing it this way, being a broker is a lifelong successful career and cannot, because when you think about, you know, technology such as artificial intelligence, machine learning, you know, what are those technologies focused on? They're focused on automating simple tasks so they don't replace the roles but they replace tasks so if if your role is somebody who only does one task which is easy to automate then you're at risk you know Uh but if your role is a broker is a complicated role in the sense that you do multiple tasks which require empathy which require personal relationships these are very almost impossible to automate you know, because mm-hmm. every day looks different and, and you require this very detailed know-how, which you need to bundle differently depending which customer you're talking to. You know, so it's, it's a much more uh, complicated and much more uh, valuable service, you know, you provide. Then that's very difficult to automate. And so I think it's, it's, that's a goal, not just for insurance, but it's a goal when I think about my own children, you know, when I think about what should our children study in school, you know, what should they become late in their lives, you know, you don't want them to become a job which is the same thing every single day. Because those type of jobs you can replace, you know, with robots probably in a few years' time. And, uh, and we've seen that, you know, when you think about uh, the fa- manufacturing of cars, you know, before the floors, the cars were manufactured, were full of people. Now it's full of robots. You mm-hmm. know, so it's, we, we have seen that. But even complicated tasks, such as being a medical doctor and, and conducting a surgery, is now being helped, you know, by tools, robotic tools. And, uh, or, you know, when you look for a cancer, you know, uh, you have got uh, tools available to spot those cancers. Uh, and, and then, of course, the doctor looks over that. So I think no profession is safe, you know, from the technology revolution, which we are seeing. Uh, but what is definitely comes out of all studies which are con- being conducted is that those jobs which are multi which are multidisciplinary, you know, require lots of different tasks every single day. And lots of empathy, lots of relationship building and relationship work. These are very difficult to automate. These ones are the value-added tasks in the future. And, and I think bro- being a good broker is all of that, you know. So that's, I think that's mm-hmm. the key thing is to focus on that and, and to use technology to your advantage, you know, to cut costs. To ah, ah oh, okay, right. So um, I don't know if that's, uh, you know, a fourth leg on the stool, but it, it would seem now that uh, technology for the agency, technology is part of the job. Yes. It's a part of the job. It's part of a tool to make your own agency more profitable because you can cut costs out so you keep more profit margins. Got it. All right. Um, Off the top of my head, uh, I, I can think of three guests who have been on this show 
um, insure tech startups who have integrated some form of AI, artificial intelligence, four now that I can think of, some form of artificial intelligence into their product. And I assume that you're seeing fairly substantial investments being made into the integration of AI into insurance. Yes, exactly. So we see that, you know, in terms of just, for example, reading documents, you know, reading documents. Right. Okay. So a five, I can think of five, five guests. (laughs) Right. It's a very important uh, to be aware, you know, of those tools and to use them uh, when they become available, you know, to use them, to try them out and, uh, and, and basically to choose, you know, which technology is useful for me personally. And these technologies you should embrace, you know, why not? You should embrace them because they help you to be more efficient and more uh, better at, at, at your job. And those technologies often are not visible to your customers. You know, they might be in the background of what you do. Uh, other technologies might be visible to your customer to improve the customer experience. You know, they mm-hmm. might be better for you to do, you know, like now everybody does video calls, but beforehand, you know, video calls was not an option many people used, uh, but to use technologies to provide better customer experience, better online reports, for example, uh, better analytics, you know, data uh, analysis tools for the clients to understand mm-hmm. the risks better. You know, there, there's lots of technology available now, which improves the likelihood, you know, that the customers see the relationship much more valuable because the customers don't have access to this technology. Only you as a broker can have that. All right. Uh, well, Suzanne, uh, I know it's getting late in London. You've been very generous with your time. Um, and um, sh- should, uh, uh, sh- should you be considering InsureTech book number two, of course, feel free to reach out to me. Um, and so I want to thank you for spending time with us today and sharing your wisdom and your perspective and your expertise. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Michael, for having me. And I wish all our brokers who are listening to us all uh, the best, lots of success in the future and to embrace, you know, technology and insure tech. And uh, also thank you again, Michael, for being a fantastic co-author of our insure tech book. Indeed. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Connected Insurance Podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share it with your peers and colleagues. Explore the Connected Insurance family of resources for insurance agents and brokers by visiting agencyrevolution.com and clicking media. Subscribe and get updates delivered right to your inbox.